Hello, and welcome to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today, we bring you the short story, Lull, by Kelly Link. This is part two of said short story, and it is brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by Creative Commons Licensing, and by Tequila. Plain old tequila. Lull, by Kelly Link. Part 2 The Devil and the Cheerleader So, the devil is at a party at the cheerleader's house. They've been playing spin the bottle. The cheerleader's boyfriend just came out of the closet with her best friend. Earlier, the cheerleader felt like slapping him, and now she knows why. The bottle pointed at her best friend who had just shrugged and smiled at her. Then the bottle was spinning, and when the bottle stopped spinning, it was in her boyfriend's hand. Then, all of a sudden, an egg timer was going off. Everyone was giggling, and they were all standing up to go over by the closet, like they were all going to try to squeeze inside. But the devil stood up and took the cheerleader's hand and pulled her backwards-forwards. So she knew exactly what had happened, and was going to happen and some other things besides. This is the thing she likes about backwards. You start out with all the answers, and after a while, someone comes along and gives you the questions. But you don't have to answer them. You already passed that part. That was what was so nice about being married. Things got better and better, until you hardly even knew each other anymore. And then you said good night and went out on a date, and after that you were just friends. It was easier that way. That's the dear, sweet, backwards way of the world. Just a second. Let's go back for a second. Something happened. Something has happened. But nobody ever talked about it, at least not at these parties, not anymore. Everyone's been drinking all night long, except the devil, who's a teetotaler. He's been pretending to drink vodka out of a hip flask. Everybody at the party is drunk right now, and they think he's okay. Later, they'll sober up. They'll think he's pretentious, an asshole, drinking air out of a flask like that. There are a lot of empty bottles of beer, some empty bottles of whiskey. There's a lot of work still to be done, by the look of it. They're using one of the beer bottles. That's what they're spinning. Later on... It will be full, and they won't have to play this stupid game. The cheerleader guesses that she didn't invite the devil to the party. He isn't the kind of guy that you have to invite. He'll probably show up by himself. But now they're in the closet together for five minutes. The cheerleader's boyfriend isn't too happy about this, but what can he do? It's that kind of party. She's that kind of cheerleader. They're a lot younger than they used to be. At parties like this, they used to be older, especially the devil. He remembers all the way back to the end of the world. The cheerleader wasn't a cheerleader then. She was married and had kids and a husband. Something's going to happen. Or maybe it's already happened. Nobody ever talks about it. If they could, what would they say? But those end-of-the-world parties were crazy. 
People would drink too much, and they wouldn't have any clothes on. There'd be these sad little piles of clothes in the living room, as if something had happened, and the people had disappeared, disappeared right out of their clothes. Meanwhile, the people who belonged in the clothes would be out in the backyard, waiting until it was time to go home. They'd get up on the trampoline and bounce around and cry. There would be a bottle of extra virgin olive oil, and sooner or later someone was going to have to refill it and go put it back on the pantry shelf. You'd have had these slippery, naked, middle-aged people sliding around on the trampoline and the oily grass. And then in the end, all you'd have would be a bottle of olive oil, some olives on a tree, a tree, an orchard, an empty field. The devil would stand around, feeling awkward, hoping that it would turn out he'd come late. The kids would be up in their bedrooms, out of the beds, looking out the windows, remembering when they used to be older. Not that they ever got that much older. But the world is younger now. Things are simpler. Now the cheerleader has parents of her own, and all she has to do is wait for them to get home, and then this party can be over. Two days ago was the funeral. It was just how everyone said it would be. Then there were errands, people to talk to. She was busy. She hugged her aunt and her uncle goodbye and moved into the house where she would live for the rest of her life. She unpacked all her boxes, and the Salvation Army brought her parents' clothes and furniture and pots and pans, and other people, her parents' friends, helped her hang her mother's clothes in her mother's closet not this closet. She bunched her mother's clothes up in her hand and sniffed, curious and hungry and afraid. She suspects, remembering the smell of her mother's monogrammed sweaters, that they'll have fights about things, boys, music, clothes. The cheerleader will learn to let all of these things go. If her kids were still around, they would say, I told you so. What they did say was, just wait until you have parents of your own. You'll see. The cheerleader rubs her stomach. Are you in there? She moved the unfamiliar, worn-down furniture around so that it matched up old grooves in the floor. Here was the shape of someone's buttocks printed onto a seat cushion. Maybe it would be her father's favorite chair. She looked through her father's records. There was a record playing on the phonograph. It wasn't anything she had ever heard before. And she took it off, laid it back in its empty white sleeve. She studied the death certificates. She tried to think what to tell her parents about their grandchildren, what they'd want to know. Her favorite song had just been on the radio for the very last time. Years and years ago, she'd danced to that song at her wedding. Now it was gone, except for the feeling she'd had when she listened to it. Sometimes she still felt that way, but there wasn't a word for it anymore. Tonight, in a few hours, there will be a car wreck, and then her parents will be coming home. By then, all her friends will have left, taking away six packs and boyfriends, 
and newly applied coats of hairspray and lipstick. She thinks she looks a bit like her mother. Before everyone showed up, while everything was still a wreck downstairs, before the police had arrived to say what they had to say, she was standing in her parents' bathroom. She was looking in the mirror. She picked a lipstick out of the trash can, an orangey-red that will be a favorite, because there's just a little half-moon left. But when she looked at herself in the mirror, it didn't fit. It didn't belong to her. She put her hand on her breastbone, pressed hard, felt her heart beating faster and faster. She couldn't wear her mother's lipstick while her mother lay on a gurney somewhere in a morgue, waiting to be sewn up, to have her clothes sewn back on, to breathe, to wake up, to see the car on the other side of the median sliding away, to see her husband, the man that she's going to marry someday to come home to meet her daughter. The recently dead are always exhausted. There's so much to absorb, so many things that need to be undone. They have their whole lives ahead of them. The cheerleader's best friend winks at her. The devil's got a flashlight with two dead batteries. Somebody closes the door after them. Soon, very soon, already now, the batteries in the devil's flashlight are old and tired, and there's just a thin line of light under the closet door. It's cramped in the closet, and it smells like shoes, paint, wool, cigarettes, tennis rackets, ghosts of perfume and sweat. Outside the closet, the world is getting younger, but in here is where they keep all the old things. The cheerleader put them all in here last week. She's felt queasy for most of her life. She's a bad time traveler. She gets time sick. It's as if she's always just a little bit pregnant. Are you in there? And it's worse in here with all these old things that don't belong to her. Even worse, because the devil is always fooling around with time. The devil feels right at home. He and the cheerleader make a nest of coats and sit down on them, facing each other. The devil turns the bright, constant beam of the flashlight on the cheerleader. She's wearing a little, flippy skirt. Her knees are up making a tent out of her skirt. The tent is full of shadows. So is the closet. The devil conjures up another devil, another cheerleader, mouse-sized, both of them, sitting under the cheerleader's skirt. The closet is full of devils and cheerleaders. I just need to hold something, the cheerleader says. If she holds something... Maybe she won't throw up. Please, the devil says. It tickles. I'm ticklish. The cheerleader is leaning forward. She's got the devil by the tail. Then she's touching the devil's tail with her pom-poms. He quivers. Please don't, he says. He giggles. The devil's tail is tucked up under his legs. 
It isn't hot, but the devil is sweating. He feels sad. He's not good at being sad. He flicks the flashlight on and off. Here's a knee. Here's a mouth. Here's a sleeve hanging down, all empty. Someone knocks on the closet door. Go away, the cheerleader says. It hasn't been five minutes yet. Not even. The devil can feel her smile at him, like they're old friends. Your tail. Can I touch it? The cheerleader says. Touch what? The devil says. He feels a little excited, a little nervous. Old enough to know better. Brand new enough here in the closet to be jumpy. He's taking a chance here. Girls, women, aren't really domestic animals at the moment. Although they're getting tamer, more used to living in houses, less likely to bite. Can I touch your tail now? The cheerleader says. No, the devil says. I'm shy, he says. Maybe you could stroke my tail with your pom-pom in a little bit. We could make out, the cheerleader says. That's what we're supposed to do, right? I need to be distracted because I think I'm about to have this thought. It's going to make me really sad. I'm getting younger, you know. I'm going to keep on getting younger. It isn't fair. She puts her feet against the closet door. She kicks once, like a mule. She says, I mean, you're the devil. You don't have to worry about this stuff. In a few thousand years, you'll be back at the beginning again, and you'll be in good with God again, right? The devil shrugs. Everybody knows the end of that story. The cheerleader says, everyone knows that old story. You're famous. You're like John Wilkes Booth. You're historical. You're going to be really important. You'll be Mr. Bringer of Light, and you'll get good tables at all the trendy restaurants, choruses of angels and mater d's, etc. La la la. They'll all be singing hallelujahs forever. Please pass the vichy and then God unmakes the world, and he'll put all the bits away in a closet like this. The devil smirks. He shrugs. It isn't a bad life, hanging around in closets with cheerleaders. And it gets better. The cheerleader says, It isn't fair. I'd tell him so if he were here. He'll unhang the stars and pull Leviathan right back out of the deep end of the vasty bathwater, and you'll be having Leviathan tartare for dinner. Where will I be then? You'll be around. You're always around. But me... I'll get younger and younger, and in a handful of years, I won't be me at all. And my parents will get younger, and so on, and so on. Whoosh! We'll be gone like a flash of light, and you won't even remember me. Nobody will remember me. Everything that I was, that I did, all the funny things that I said, and the things that my friends said back to me, that will all be gone. But you go all the way backwards. You go backwards and forwards. It isn't fair. You could always remember me. What could I do so that you would remember me? 
As long as we're in this closet, the devil says, he's magnanimous. I'll remember you. But in a few minutes, the cheerleader says, we'll go back out of the closet, and the bottle will spin, and then the party will be over, and my parents will come home, and nobody will ever remember me. Then tell me a story, the devil says. He puts his sharp, furry paw on her leg. Tell me a story so that I'll remember you. What kind of story, says the cheerleader. Tell me a scary story, the devil says. A funny, scary, sad, happy story. I want everything. He can feel his tail wagging as he says this. You can't have everything, the cheerleader says. And she picks up his paw and puts it back on the floor of the closet. Not even in a story. You can't have all the stories you want. I know, the devil says. He whines. But I still want it. I want things. That's my job. I even want the things that I already have. I want everything you have. I want the things that don't exist. That's why I'm the devil. He leers, and it's a shame because she can't see him in the dark. He feels silly. Well, what's the scariest thing, says the cheerleader. You're the expert, right? Give me a little help here. The scariest thing, the devil says. Okay, I'll give you two things. Three things. No, just two. The third one is a secret. The devil's voice changes. Later on, one day, the cheerleader will be listening to a preschool teacher say back the alphabet. With the sun moving across the window, nothing ever stays still, and she'll be reminded of the devil and the closet and the line of light under the door, the peaceful little circle of light the flashlight makes against the closet door. The devil says, I'm not complaining, but he is. But here's the way things used to work. They don't work this way anymore. I don't know if you remember. Your parents are dead, and they're coming home in just a few hours. Used to be that was scary. Not anymore. But try to imagine finding something that shouldn't be there. Like what? The cheerleader says. The devil shrugs. A child's toy, a ball, or a nightlight. Some cheap bit of trash, but it's heavier than it looks. Or else, light. It shines with a greasy sort of light. Or else, it eats light. When you touch it, it yields unpleasantly. You feel as if you might fall into it. You feel light-headed. It might be inscribed in a language which no one can decipher. Okay, the cheerleader says. She seems somewhat cheered up. 
So, what's the next thing? The devil shines the flashlight in her eyes, flicks it on and off. Someone disappears. Gone, just like that. They're standing behind you in a line at an amusement park. Or they wander away during the intermission of a play. Perhaps they go downstairs to get the mail, or to make tea. That's scary, the cheerleader says. Used to be, the devil says. It used to be that the worst thing that could happen was if you had kids and one of them died or disappeared. Disappeared was the worst. Anything might have happened to them. Things are better now, the cheerleader says. Yes. Well, the devil says, things just get better and better nowadays. But try to remember how it was. The person who disappeared, only they didn't. You'd see them from time to time, peeking in at you through windows or down low through the mail slot in your front door. Keyholes. You might see them in the grocery store, sitting in the back seat of your car, down low, slouching in your rearview mirror. They might pinch your leg or pull your hair when you're asleep. When you talk on the phone, they listen in. You hear them listening. The cheerleader says, Like with my parents. Exactly, says the devil. You've had nightmares about them, right? Not really, the cheerleader says. Everyone says they were probably nice people. I mean, look at this house. But sometimes I have this dream that I'm at the mall and I see my husband. And he's just the same. He's a grown-up and he doesn't recognize me. It turns out that I'm the only one who's going backwards. And then he does recognize me. And he wants to know what I've done with the kids. The last time she'd seen her husband, he was trying to grow a beard. He couldn't even do that right. He hadn't had much to say, but they'd looked at each other for a long time. What about your children? The devil says. Do you wonder where they went when the doctor pushed them back up inside you? Do you have dreams about them? Yes, the cheerleader says. Everything gets smaller. I'm afraid of that. Think how men feel, the devil says. It's no wonder men are afraid of women. No wonder sex is so hard on them. The cheerleader misses sex, that feeling afterwards, that blissful, unsatisfied itch. The first time around, things were better, the devil says. I don't know if you remember. People died, and no one was sure what happened next. There were all sorts of possibilities. Now everyone knows everything. What's the fun in that? Someone is trying to push open the closet door, but the cheerleader puts her feet against it, 
leaning against the back of the closet. Oh, I remember, she says. I remember when I was dead. There was so much I was looking forward to. I had no idea. The devil shivers. He's never liked dead people much. So, okay, what about monsters, the cheerleader says. Vampires, serial killers, people from outer space, those old movies. The devil shrugs. Yeah, sure, boogeymen, formaldehyde babies in mason jars. Someday, someone is going to have to take them out of the jar, unpickle them. Women with teeth down there. Zombies. Killer robots. Killer bees. Serial killers. Cold spots. Werewolves. The dream where you know that you're asleep, but you can't wake up. You can hear someone walking around the bedroom, picking up your things and putting them down again, and you still can't wake up. The end of the world. Spiders. No one was with her when she died. Carnivorous plants. Oh, goody, the cheerleader says. Her eyes shine at him out of the dark. Her pom-poms slide across the floor of the closet. He moves his flashlight so he can see her hands. So... Here's your story, the cheerleader says. She's a girl who can think on her feet. It's not really a scary story. I don't really get scary. Weren't you listening? The devil says. He taps the flashlight against his big front teeth. Never mind. It's okay. Never mind. Go on. This probably isn't a true story the cheerleader says, and it doesn't go backwards like we do. I probably won't get all the way to the end, and I'm not going to start at the beginning either. There isn't enough time. That's fine, the devil says. I'm all ears. He is. The cheerleader says, so who's going to tell this story anyway? Be quiet and listen. We're running out of time. She says, a man comes home from a sales conference. He and his wife have been separated for a while, but they've decided to try living together again. They've sold the house that they used to live in. Now they live just outside of town, in an old house in an orchard. The man comes home from this business conference, and his wife is sitting in the kitchen, and she's talking to another woman, an older woman. They're sitting on the chairs that used to go around the kitchen table, but the table is gone. So is the microwave, and the rack where Susan's copper-bottomed pots hang. The pots are gone, too. The husband doesn't notice any of this. He's busy looking at the other woman. Her skin has a greenish tinge. He has this feeling that he knows her. She and the wife both look at the husband, and he suddenly knows what it is. It's his wife. It's his wife 
two of her. Only one is maybe twenty years older. Otherwise, except that this one's green, they're identical. Same eyes, same mouth, same little mole at the corner of her mouth. How am I doing so far? So, so, the devil says. The truth, the truth makes the devil itchy, is he only likes stories about himself. Like the story about the devil's wedding cake. Now that's a story. The cheerleader says, it gets better. It gets better. You have been listening to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today, we have brought you the short story, Lull, by Kelly Link, Part 2. Come back next time for more of Lull by Kelly Link, which will, as always, be brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by the Creative Commons, and by Tequila. Yeah.